I'm Bernie Crane. I'm John Crane. You're listening to the Jazz Session with Jason Crane, our dad. Welcome to the Jazz Session. I'm Jason Crane. The Jazz Session is sponsored by Matt Rock, Monat Verdi, and Nicholas Payton. This is episode 387. Another show mixed, although not recorded, but mixed in New Orleans. Uh, I am in New Orleans as I record this introduction, and will be actually for the next several weeks. I've already seen my first show, and oddly enough, the very first music I went to see in New Orleans was a free jazz show. I don't know how that happened. Well, of course I know how it happened. It happened because my friend Jeff Albert's Open Ears series was the first thing I went to. But I came all the way to New Orleans, and I saw free jazz first. So I think I'm doing it right, but I definitely need to see a whole bunch of like New Orleans piano and brass band music and all that kind of stuff in the, in the months. The months. I hope it'll be months, but initially the weeks ahead. Let's not get ahead of ourselves, shall we? It's hot here also. Not going to lie to you. Today I walked about five miles in – it doesn't sound that bad. It, it was about 93 or 95 out. The heat index, it was like 103 because it was about 55% humidity, I think. But man, there there are a lot of trees, but there's no shade in a lot of the, a lot of the parts of the city I was in. I walked, I guess, mostly in the Bywater. I'm staying in the Marigny area and I walked through the bywater because there are not very many post offices either, at least not where I'm staying, that I could find on the USPS website. So it was like a couple mile walk to the post office and it was just straight out in the sun the entire way. Luckily, I have started carrying this uh, little Japanese like hand, it's basically a handkerchief, uh, a thing that many Japanese people carry because they don't like to sweat in public. I bought one of these at Kinokuniya before I left New York City, and I've just made it a habit of always having it in my pocket. And man, it got a workout today. And the clothes I was wearing for the first part of the day look like I wore them through a fountain or while taking a bath or something. It's uh, it's not good. I sweat a lot in the winter, let alone in the summertime, let alone in New Orleans in the summertime. But it's awesome here. I love it. It's so beautiful. It it's so funny after thinking about this place for so many years to actually be here and to actually see all of these things in person. It's just, it's even better than the fantasy I had about it or, you know, the things I thought about it from all the books I read and all the music I listened to. It's it's interesting, too, because I feel like I already know a lot about the city. I think as it probably will turn out, I don't know anything about the city. But I have read a lot of books about New Orleans, New Orleans culture and history, you know, pre and post Katrina and going all the way back to the the kind of founding of the city, and I really feel like I have immersed myself in it over the last maybe five years or so. And then you get here and you just realize, and I'm sure this is true of travel to just about any place, you you get to the place and you realize that no amount of preparation can replace the, the kind of tactile knowledge of actually being in the place. So I'm very excited to, to see a lot more of New Orleans and uh, I don't know. I hate to say things like this because my plans have a way of never turning out, but I would really love when the tour is over, you know, later this year or next year to uh, to maybe come and make my home here. 
Thank you to the Respect Sextet for the theme music to this show. They're online at respectsextet.com. Thanks also to Dave Rabel for the show's logo and to Rob Grendel for the Jazz or Bust logo. I had a Jazz or Bust t-shirt made via Zazzle.com just to kind of see what it would look like with one of the logos that Rob had made specifically for t-shirts, and it looks really cool. I was wearing that around yesterday a little bit, and uh, I'm excited to start sending those out to people. They're going to actually be silkscreened in Brooklyn, but I wanted to, to just get one to, to make sure I liked it and, uh, it, and it looks great. I also have been sending out more postcards, and I should say, by the way, that it is never too late to support this tour and to support the show. There are easy ways to do that. You can go to thejazzsession.com slash tour and make a one-time donation. It's right there. It's via PayPal. You don't need to have a PayPal account. You can just use your credit card. And if you do that, you'll get the thank you gifts at whatever level you pledge at, starting at 10 bucks and going up to $1,000 if you're really feeling generous. But I know that there are some people listening right now for whom $1,000 would be a reasonable donation, and it would change my life completely. So if that's the kind of thing you think you might like to do, have at it. Also, you can become a member of the show for as little as 10 bucks a month. Or, if you prefer to pledge in a yearly sum, $110 a year, and there are various levels of membership. And that is a great way to, in a recurring way, support the show. You can follow me on Twitter at Jason D. Crane. You can join the mailing list by going to thejazzsession.com and clicking on mailing list. And more and more folks are going each day to jasoncrane.org to read my daily tour diaries. And if you listen to this show and you decide, oh, I think I'll do that today, I should warn you that the one I posted this afternoon is less of a tour diary and more of an essay dealing with a moderately heavy topic. But all the previous ones, and presumably most of the ones following, will be just regular tour diaries full of photos of things that I, I did and saw and people I met and so on and so forth. I think that's it. This is an interview that was recorded on the tour in Richmond, Virginia, which has one of the coolest music scenes on the East Coast. I'm, I'm very confident to go right ahead and say that. And part of the reason it has such a cool scene is because of this guy, Scott Burton, who has a band called Glows in the Dark, and he's also involved with many other projects. But Glows in the Dark is, I, th I would say it's fair to say, kind of one of the hallmark bands of the Richmond, Virginia scene. And uh, it was a real pleasure not only to, to meet Scott and to talk with him, but actually to sleep on his couch for a couple of days, which was very nice. Uh, I slept with, slept with, yes, I slept with Scott Burton. I'm just coming out and saying that now. It's finally time to reveal on the show that I'm just sleeping my way down the country with all of the guests on the jazz session. I, I think we all know each other well enough that I can finally tell you. Now, I was going to say I stayed with two guys named Scott in Richmond, Scott Burton and Scott Clark. And you'll hear Scott Clark's interview coming up in a couple of weeks. Uh, but right now, Scott Burton and Glows in the Dark from their album Beach of the War Gods. And then my interview with Scott.
My guest here in uh, Richmond, where the band is based, is guitarist Scott Burton from the band Glows in the Dark. It's a pleasure to have you. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. The uh, the band has a really, and I guess uh, you know, kind of foundationally, you have a, a fascinating approach to finding material, and uh, it's one I really haven't heard very many other people ever use. And I thought maybe we could start by talking about that a little bit. Yeah, I'd say a lot of it has to do with just being very obsessed with film and film music. Um, and so, yeah, I'm always listening to a lot of different film scores and just trying, you know, certain elements will stick out in songs and I'll try to incorporate that into the music in some way. But it really comes from all over. It's just a way of trying to integrate, you know, this vast array of film music into one thing. Which is interesting because um, the band's performance style is is somewhat at odds with the incredibly specific uses of film music that at least that I tend to associate with film music where you know there's a a definite amount of time for something to happen in the score of a film you know there it's often quite programmatic where it's really following what's happening on the screen and yet glows in the dark is able to take that and go in some completely other place and I'm wondering how you start from that source material and then end up where you end up. Yeah, it it definitely varies a lot. Um, One of the things I try to do when I write music is I'm always um, trying to give the actual song some sort of a narrative arc um, and, but also incorporate different, um, different improvised sections within that. So it's, there's definitely areas that are defined, you know, there'll be an overall theme and there'll be uh, sort of a balance between what's going on. But there's also, I mean, I think just from the fact from us playing these songs so much, we've just gone into so much more territory within the songs. But there is always a structure for what's what's happening, for sure.
And so this is something uh, – in fact, I've made reference to this in other interviews of the interview with Tim Byrne that was on this show where he was talking about encouraging the members of the band to feel more comfortable about actually using the written material. I think his point was that sometimes you you play the written material and by the time you get to the freely improvised section, you feel like, well, I've got to – now I've got to do something completely original. And his – I think his focus in some of his bands was on saying – you know, you don't have to worry about writing a new piece when you get to the improvised section. There's already a piece, and we can use that. How much of that kind of, uh, you know, use of the written material, and how much of that kind of conversation do you guys have about the improvised parts of this music? Uh, we definitely, yeah, we definitely talk about that, and specifically when we're rehearsing, we'll try different things. Um, but it really, a lot of it all comes down to, um, for me, a lot of the improvised practices that I really got into was different things that Anthony Braxton would do. And a lot of what what I was trying to do with glows was take a lot of those like take a lot of things that he would have happen within pieces, but make it melodic. And so even though there's, I mean, not necessarily that it's it's bad to just have free improvisation, but you know, even though there's different things going on, to have some kind of a either a tonal center or some something for some for you to latch onto when you're listening to it. So. You know, everyone's naturally trying to make the music sound better as a whole. And it's really, I think that just comes from the relationships just within the band, you know, and from us being together so long. Will you talk about the people who are in the band? So we have um, Reggie Pace on uh, trombone, uh, Scott Clark on drums, Cameron Rawson on bass, and then John Lilly on saxophone. And, I mean, we've been together for, I mean, I started the band originally in 2007, and um yeah we've been together since then and john uh wasn't the original saxophone player but he's been in the band longer longer than anyone else and everyone else obviously are all original members but you know i put the band together just based on friendships so um i actually i had a gig booked for a group that i was playing with like this is the way glow started was i had this um gig in february and this project that I was, and this is February of 2007, January 2007, this project that I was playing with a lot, and it was what I had the gig for, kind of fell apart. And so I needed another project to play at this gig. You know, I had this thing booked. It was going to be good. Um, and I was just like, man, I need to just put something together just based on friendships, you know. Like I had two really good sets of friends, uh, originally Reggie and the original uh, sax player, Jason Arcee were really, really good friends. They hung out together all the time. And then same with Scott Clark and Cameron. And so it was just like, oh, I'm really good friends with both of these sets of friends. <laughs> we need to all get together and just see what happens. You know, I had no, I wasn't even thinking about what the music was going to sound like. Um, and uh, yeah, so there's four songs, you know, we rehearsed and I was really, really nervous because I had... You know, I was had all this cueing and things in the music that I had never tried before in a band. And I was just like, I hope these guys don't think this is weird that I'm asking them to do this, you know. But it worked out great. And, um, you know, since then, it's just uh, it's grown from there.
when you were putting the band together, did you say to the four other members, you know, look, I just think I think we should all play together. I just think based on our personalities, we should form a band and then we'll figure it out from there. Yeah, I actually um you know, this has been a while ago, so it was uh it was MySpace and uh <laughs> I MySpaced everyone separately, <laughs> which is great. Wow. <laughs> That's fantastic. Apparently sending them telegrams was no, oh, I know. Just I know. passed out of favor, yeah. I know. Well, we had a carrier pigeon, <laughs> right? Exactly. Um, but yeah, I like there. Scott Clark had not. He and Cameron played in a band called Alad, and he was not playing with any other bands um, outside of that. But I really wanted to start a band with him because I've played with him a lot in the past, and uh, so I sent, you know, I sent messages to everyone, and I was like, "Well, I know Scott's going to say no. You know, I know I like I know I'm going to have to find another." drummer no matter what and um but then everyone said yes and i was like oh man now i have to write music (laughs) (laughs) but it was myspace (laughs) that's fantastic would you go back to the the braxton uh example and give some concrete examples of some of the techniques that you adapted from braxton yeah um i um actually so i i'd seen braxton play um i was uh, friends with mary halverson and jessica pavone and they would had invited me up a couple times when Braxton had played at the Iridium. And particularly when I saw the uh, 12 plus 1 Tet at the Iridium, um, it was it was unbelievable. And it was definitely for me, like I had listened to him a lot uh, on CDs and recordings. And I really liked what I heard, but it wasn't until I saw it live that it really just, it all made sense. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is incredible. And particularly what I really liked about it was... Like you have this group and everyone starts in the same place, but at a certain point, you know, everyone breaks apart and you'll have like, you know, three and four trios playing different things all at the same time. And it's hard. It's really hard to distinguish a lot of that, especially when you have so many people on a recording, but seeing it live, it makes perfect sense. And I was just, this is, I was just blown away by it. And so I, you know, left there just on the way back from New York, like I got to do something with that and have some way where we can have, you know, two and three things happening at the same time, but still have something that grounds it in a way. And I I had no idea what it was going to sound like. I just, that concept was the main thing that I took away from it. But unlike Braxton in the situation you described, you didn't have 13 or some larger, even larger number of musicians to deal with. You had, if you were going to make four things happen, that pretty much means everyone has to play one of those things and one other person gets to do gets to double or something exactly so it was definitely different and it was cool too to see him like i there's a great recording that he did of the uh, ghost trance music on uh what's the recording it's a it's a quartet playing and so he has this ghost trance music concept and and he, he has a quartet recording that's great because it's it is just four people and it's using all those same concepts that he had in the twelve plus one tet. And I mean, I had not listened to that when I started glows, but what we try to do, what always ends up happening, um, at least a sound that I really like, is for me to have something like I'll play a repeated figure, something that grounds the music, and then usually there'll be. Um, two duos so i'll be playing one thing and then two duos will be playing different things um on top of that so usually like maybe it'll be john and scott soloing while reggie and cameron are playing cued notes or you know maybe it's the opposite of that or maybe one person soloing and then the other three are doing something different 
but I really tried to find as many different combinations as we could. Do you tend to cue things in songs with with musical cues or with actual physical direction, or how, how does it actually work in the moment of performance? Well, it's usually um, each person in the band, depending on the section, will, will cue things. So a lot of times, if I'm playing a repeated figure, um, like if Reggie will have long tones with, with either Cameron or whoever, usually Reggie does a lot of cueing. Um, but it's really it's really up to however however I write it and however it, we figure that it works best. I mean, a lot of times things do change in rehearsal because I'll be like, yeah, I'll just cue that. It's fine. And then we'll be in practice and I'll be playing and I'm like, I can't cue. Like, it's not, <laughs> right. I can't give an obvious cue. We have to change something. Um, so it does change, but we really divvy up the, the responsibilities. Is cueing for Reggie as simple as the fact that he has a trombone with a long slide and... It helps a lot. It helps, It right? really yeah. does. It really does, because he, he can always give a really solid cue. Like, when Cameron has to cue, he can do it, but it's, like, it's harder. He's got this bass. He's just got to give this, like, epic head nod, right. you know? <laughs> Which he does when playing anyway. I he mean, does. He, he, he does. moves around a lot when he plays, so... I know, so yeah. it's like, was he cueing now? <laughs> right, exactly. We, see, that stuff we definitely clean up in practice. <laughs> <laughs> now, it... It seems to me, and please correct me if this is wrong, but I kind of feel like there's a are almost two characters to Glows, the live character and then the studio recording side of the band, where in in one you get a chance to, to do more almost like microscopic arranging and really kind of go down into the layers, and the other is much more, I mean, obviously performative and I think maybe more audience-focused. But if I'm totally off on that, feel free to, to no me. no that's definitely that's definitely accurate um we I, I feel like we're getting better at using the studio um we i mean for the most part we play everything in the studio live but it is different where a lots of times when we go into record those songs have been played so many times live that we have a pretty good idea of what we want to do with them and in an, like a live setting we always are just feeding off the audience a lot more and trying to stretch the songs out and take them different places um just you know just to see where it goes uh, whereas on a recording we really are like you know 
this is the idea for the tune. Let's just get this down. You know, it'll be on CD. You know, <laughs> right. So yeah, it is. It's definitely different. Approach. We're gonna listen to this one performance over and over again for the rest <laughs> exactly. of our careers. So. <laughs> <laughs> Can you talk about uh, kind of the evolution of the the studio output of Glows and and maybe even give us a little sneak peek of uh, of what's on the horizon? Yeah, well, we um, so we did the uh, first album, which is uh, that came out. It's it's been a while ago now. I believe two thousand eight, two thousand nine. Um, that was just the first, really like the first two batches of tunes that I wrote, um, and we had been playing them live quite a bit. And that's with the original sax player Jason Arce. Um, we went in there and recorded it and it was, you know, everything was pretty straightforward. Um, with the second album, Beach of the War Gods, um, that was a really, that was a really big, uh, change for us. Just like growth. Um, John joined the band and it actually totally changed the whole character of the band for the better. I mean, we really, um, you know, just like took the music and, uh, I think further than we had before. And the recording setup for that was really cool. We actually recorded at John's godfather's place. He has a studio that he built in rural Virginia. And we just hung out there for a whole weekend. And uh, Lance, who uh, runs a studio in Richmond called Minimum Wage, and he's the drummer for No BS, we brought him along with us. He brought all his equipment. And it was just us and him and uh, John's godparents and their goat, they have a goat, which was awesome. And we just hung out and recorded, and it was great. We really took the music a lot further. Now what we're doing, um, you know, in addition to more tunes that I'm writing, we're actually working on some tracks with some uh, hip-hop MCs. Uh, so it's been really exciting. Like, that's I love hip-hop music, and I've always – it was funny. Like, when I started Glows, the two people that I really wanted to work with um, were I really wanted to figure out how to work with Anthony Braxton, and I wanted to somehow figure out how to work with MF Doom, and uh, I was like, those two guys for some reason, that's like that has to happen. Most of my <laughs> listeners will know who Anthony Braxton is, and a decent proportion of them will know who MF Doom is. But will you tell folks who he? Yeah, is? MF Doom is a uh, hip hop MC um, that I guess I I really got hip to him. I got hip to him in a weird way. Um, he sort of emerged in the underground hip-hop scene like in 1999 early 2000s and i actually got hip to him in um through his beat records like he he released a lot of albums called it's like the special herbs series and it was just his beats and so for the longest time i didn't even know that he rapped 
I would just I loved his beat albums and I I checked him out all the time because I like briefly right out of college wanted to be a, a hip hop DJ and uh, you know somehow I was like really into turntablism and that stuff and so yeah when I found out that he was a rapper I listened to that and I was like oh man this guy's unbelievable at producing and rapping um, but so anyway with these new tracks we're we're getting closer um, we're working with some MCs that have been on MF Doom albums or somehow associated with him uh, we've got John Robinson. Uh, Count Base D, um, this guy Jawad Taylor, who's actually a, a great trumpet player and uh, MC in New York, and then we've got this guy named Twenty Twenty, who has rapped. I've heard him on one track before, and he's he's pretty elusive. So it was pretty exciting to get him. But so they're uh, mailing us verses without any music, and then I'll write music for us to play underneath it still with improvised sections. I mean, we still, it sounds like glows and that's the thing. It was tough to strike that balance, but I think we've, uh, we, it worked out. I'm a huge fan of hip hop too. And have always contended that some of the most creative rhythmic invention happening anywhere in music in the 21st century. And in the latter half of the 20th century is happening there. And so I wonder when you get sent a verse, uh, a recorded verse, can you talk about how you kind of pull that apart and figure out what's going to go under it? And I wonder how much it guides the, uh, particularly the rhythmic component of what you write. Yeah, it's um, well, a, a good example is a piece that we have um, where so I um, we've we've gotten some remixes done, and uh, that was how we hooked up with Count Base D. Uh, he was a guy that I emailed very early in Glows. Like I just emailed him, and I was like, he's never going to respond. But he did, and he was just like, you know, I'm really busy, whatever. But then years go by, and I contacted him again, and he was so like so amazed we were still doing music, you know, and loved the music. So through that relationship, I was like, I asked him, I emailed him, and I was like, can you just send me a verse with no music? I just want to, like, we just want to experiment with it, see what we can come up with. And so that's how that whole thing started. He sent me a verse. Um, I just took out my metronome, figured out, you know, how many beats per minute it was. And he's got, you know, amazing time. So it was super easy to figure out. And yeah, from that, we wrote our first song, which was just, um, you know, it, there's a lot of, I guess we are messing with time a lot in it just because that's something that I really like when hip hop music, uh, does that. And I don't think it happens a lot. And so with, uh, in particular with that song, we had, um, we had him rapping up front with a, a relatively straight ahead time feel. And then there's an improvised section and then it goes into a real kind of like a broken, almost like a Jay Dilla sort of a sound at the end. And it, um, we, we had Jawad Taylor rap at the end of that. And the way it worked out great because Jawad's rapping was very much straight eighths. Like, you know, it swung, but it was like, you know, very, rigid compared to the beat we put behind it so it really goes together in a pretty interesting way um that's just one example i mean we really getting the verses it was just like trying to figure out the best thing and experimenting with a lot of different approaches and are you leaving the verses intact as they're sent to you you know or are you also kind of ripping those apart and for the most part for the most part we are there's there's a couple of instances here and there um where we'll like you know break something apart or just like maybe repeat a phrase but for the most part the verses are left intact and we just 
you know, it it's it's amazing how well everything goes together. Like we don't even know when we're rehearsing it. It's like, is this going to work? But we do it in the studio. We line it up, and it it works perfect. great it uh this is just an anecdote that reminds me of there's an album called so uh called so there i think that steve swallow did with the poet robert creeley and when you listen to it it's i mean they're just locked together creeley's poetry is very rhythmic anyway and and very influenced by jazz and blues and so he often writes in a style where he's imagining in his head a band playing behind him and so it it fits together so great. And so I interviewed Steve Swallow about it and he said, Oh yeah, Creeley recorded all that stuff like two years before I wrote the music. And I just went in after <laughs> and I just thought it's incredible that it's even possible to make those things line up so much, but it sounds like you're having the same experience. It's, it's really, it's amazing. It's fascinating. And it's something that like I had the idea for it and I was like, that'd be cool. I think that'll work. But I, you know, I wasn't really sure. And yeah, it's not, it's it's almost not as hard as it seems like it would be because <laughs> it's like, you know, musically you have the beats per minute, you write a song, make sure ev- everything works that way, and then you line it up and it's it's crazy. It's like whoa, you know, we sound like sounds like the, we're all together, you know, right. in the same room. So yeah, it's been it's been really cool. Did you give or request from the MCs any particular parameters or anything in terms of content or? Uh, well, not initially. Initially, I was just like because. I I went into it not really knowing what to expect, and um, Count sent us this amazing verse uh, just right off the bat. This is the verse, you know, just for us to experiment with. And um, but now I'm definitely talking like John Robinson has a song where he literally the whole thing is about glows in the dark and just like the concept of that. Um, and he's amazing at at that. I mean, he he just did a um, a rap I guess a couple weeks ago at the World Science Festival where he wrapped the history of neutrinos and it's like it's amazing and it's just you know he also did a uh, rap where it's the whole history of lee morgan like it's a it's a three and a half minute song about lee morgan's whole life story and uh but it's amazing like he'll just take one thing and create this amazing song out of it so that's definitely an example of some new material and counts writing some new stuff for us right now too so i'm i'm just excited to get it for sure this is an obvious question, but if I don't ask it, someone will write and ask me why I didn't ask it. Where does the name of the band come from? 
Uh, Glows in the Dark. Um, well, there's two stories. The uh, the good story, the press story that we want everyone to uh, to understand okay. is that it's it has to do with um, just like glowing, like in a movie theater, um, the light glowing in the dark. Um, but then the real story is I was, uh, you know, starting this band and literally I remember exactly when the name just popped in my head, but I was literally just like driving here. It was across the intersection of Meadow and Cary and I was just driving and it just popped in my head and I was like, Oh man, that's kind of a cool band name. (laughs) (laughs) So that's the real story. (laughs) And then you had to reverse engineer it to tie it into the actual content. Totally. And we actually did that on, it was an interview um, it was for a local news affiliate here where we you could actually see us creating that story live <laughs> on the air. You can watch the live. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I want to talk a little bit about uh, Richmond, where we are, uh, where I'd never been before this week. But uh, quite a few Richmond musicians have been on the show, um, including Darius Jones has been on twice. Uh, Reggie Pace, who's in Close in the Dark and also No BS Brass and Bunny Bear. Uh, and Matt White from Fight the Big Bull. And I remember saying, I said to you last night when we were driving around town that when I first kind of heard, I mean, obviously I knew Richmond, Virginia existed, but when I first kind of heard of it as a musical place, it was through Darius. And then slowly it just, all of these other really creative musicians kind of got stacked up on top of what he had told me. And then it just became almost like, in my mind, it was like this mythical place. Like, oh, wow, Richmond, this, look at all the stuff that's happening there. And so <laughs> this, as soon as I decided on this tour, the very first place I knew I wanted to go was to come to Richmond and actually see for myself what was happening. So from your side of things, as someone who you know, has kind of watched this evolve organically over, over quite some period of time now, I'm, just, I'm interested in, in your take on the Richmond scene, what it's like to be a musician here, what it's like to try to make a living here creatively. Uh, well, yeah, it's... Um I mean, first of all, we're really glad to have you here. Thanks. And it's, um, yeah, it's just been, it's been really interesting to see. I mean, we, um, we started, so I, I started, uh, Matt White and I started this, uh, music promotion group called Patchwork Collective, uh, with our friend Chris Elford. And, um, that was in 2004, 2005. And, uh, we started it as a way to bring, we really started as a way to bring musicians from out of town to Richmond. So specifically, you know, improvise jazz and just all these artists that would always play in Washington, D.C. or North Carolina. And they, they would play in both those places, but they would pass right Drive through right Richmond. Through, right? <laughs> you know, it's like stay on 95. You know? <laughs> um, and we, you know, we really wanted to create an opportunity. And the whole goal with that was just to get people basically we would book shows including two or three different genres of music on the same bill so we would have uh, creative improvised music along with indie rock along with hip-hop and we were trying to cross-pollinate audiences because we were like man people have to hear this stuff you know people need to hear ken vandermark and we can't even believe that we're able to get him here you know and it's you know it's going to be great and it, it works really well and kind of like one of the things that grew out of that um besides everyone doing things like no bs started playing a lot and we put on their first few shows um also fight the big bull grew out of that i mean that's when matt created fight the big bull and it just 
this scene of people developed around that really just, you know, I mean, it's like 20 or 30 musicians that are all, we're all really supportive of each other. And we all make music that, I mean, like everyone in each other's band will trust the leader. And it's really interesting because we're, you know, like John plays in Fight the Big Bull. Uh, he also plays in Glows in the Dark. He plays in Bioritmo, which is a great salsa band with a lot of other members from Fight the Big Bull. And all these bands sound very different. No BS is another example. And we all share personnel and we all share a common, really a common vision of just getting the word out about what's happening here and trying to bring as much people here and also get the, you know, our dream has always been to export it as much as possible. Um, just because, yeah, it's just so supportive and so creative. We all kind of challenge each other. If I can ask you to, to kind of shine the light on two other musicians for a moment, Darius yep. Jones. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, not doing that. Um, Darius in New York, who just played a set at the Vision Fest that people have been describing as one of the best sets that's ever been played at the Vision Festival. Um, and then Reggie, who you know has kind of all of a sudden, by a series of really cool circumstances ended up touring with you know one of the bands that's kind of super hot on the scene these days Bon Iver, and he's you know hung out with Stephen Colbert and just came back from Bonnaroo <laughs> so these two guys in very different ways uh, I think are bringing this idea that Richmond is like a seedbed of really creative musicians to a, a wider audience and I wonder what it looks like from your end here in Richmond yeah it's definitely um, it's definitely interesting and really exciting I mean Darius um, I mean he it's really interesting because I he's doing so much great music in New York and the music he was doing in Richmond was just as great and it's 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 cool to see him 
like I was telling you last night, one of the songs on his new album, I played with him on a gig, like maybe in 2005, you know, before, I mean, it was a long time ago. And it's just so cool to see him taking his ideas and not only, you know, everyone being able to acknowledge, you know, Darius is a great musician, a great writer, but also to be able to acknowledge that this guy is coming from Richmond. And he's been really, really supportive of sending people our way the whole time. I mean, as soon as he moved to New York, we started getting emails from people like, hey, where can we play in Richmond? <laughs> and it was perfect, you know? And um, so that, you know, what he's been able to do has been great. And, with and Reggie, too. Just, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but did he go to New York right around the time that Patchwork formed? So it was kind of this yeah, nice he went, symbiosis. He, he literally went up to New York, like, right before we started. And so it was perfect because... The first emails we would get, like Mary Halverson and Jessica Bavone, were two of the first people that Darius had referred to Richmond. And we were just in a perfect place getting started. And it was like, oh, yeah, now, now we have this booking thing. We can totally have your show here. We, you know, we'd love to do it. And, um, yeah, so it all kind of fed each other. And Darius, like, we brought him down a few times to play. And obviously, you know, he comes down here every once in a while. But he's played with glows a lot and it's just it's been cool to see just how everyone keeps everyone keeps the word going like the richmond is a place that cool things are happening yeah and with reggie too it's like through this set of circumstances really through playing and fight the big bull and the uh, sounds of the south thing that they did with megafon and uh, justin vernon and sharon van etten um that really exposed well justin to reggie you know, Justin got to hear all these guys firsthand, and that's what led to him being in Bon Iver. And he's been spreading the word. I mean, he wore an OBS shirt on Saturday Night Live, you know, and we were just like, ah, oh, it's so awesome. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's just been really, really exciting because he is, he's been spreading all of our music around in, you know, the same way. And everyone's like, you know, who, we're, this Richmond place sounds really cool, you know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. Uh, will you talk to me a little bit about why you love film and what it, what is it about film that captivates you? Uh, yeah, I've 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 really been into film for, I mean, I guess as long as I can remember. I mean, when I was a kid, my the two films that I was obsessed with and would watch over and over again were uh, The Dark Crystal, which is a great film, yep. and Breakin, the uh, oh, yeah. breakdancing. So those <laughs> That's two movies. Great. And it's funny now looking at like what I'm doing with music and everything's going. It's like, oh yeah, he was that was the guy that used to watch Breaking and Dark Crystal. You I'm not sure how old you are, but did you see Dark Crystal in a theater when it came out, or did you see it afterward? I didn't, okay. but I did watch it on Beta. Nice. <laughs> so I took my little sister to see it in the theater when it first came out, and I was oh, just, just blown away by it. It's so good, yeah. so dark. I can yeah. watch it now, and I'm like, man, whoa. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> why were kids going to see this? Right? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> But yeah, so ever since then, and I've just been really into like just all sorts of genres of film. I mean, I, I had this really long period where I was obsessed with, uh, this is, I guess in the 90s, like Hong Kong action films. And like I got really into Jackie Chan and all that. And, um, you know, like horror films, really big into horror, really big into Italian, like exploitation. And um, yeah, and the soundtracks that accompany all of that. Like it's it's fascinating to me. I mean, we've... Glows has done a lot with uh, 70s Italian crime movie music. And what's so interesting... I mean, who hasn't? I mean, you know, obviously. (laughs) (laughs) But it's so interesting to hear because it's like all of... It's like that music 
is that's Italian studio musicians trying like doing James Brown impressions in a way, you know, where it's like they'll take James Brown grooves and write, you know, these like really operatic themes around it. And it's it's so interesting to hear the cultures influence each other. But yeah, like music and all of that has just fed like I've always related film and music to each other interchangeably. Um, and yeah. I don't. Th- I don't think in that answer though we got to the why. I think we got to the that it is true. Yes, but I'm not sure we got to the why it's true. I mean, can it, when you sit down and watch a movie, what's that like? Well, I just. Um, I guess I like. Uh, I really like narratives, you know, and I really like following a story, following a particular character, and really, I like. Um, I don't know, like a lot of, like I really like realism, you know, I, I like a lot of films where it's just almost like a document of what's happening, um, like John Cassavetes, a lot of his, his work in the 60s and early 70s, um, but yeah, it's something about the narrative of the whole thing, like following a narrative arc is fascinating to me, for sure. And that comes back to something you said in the very beginning that you try to do in your compositions as well. Yeah, absolutely. I I just love... I love following a narrative arc and trying to create that. Like I, I'm a big fan of in albums, like concept albums, and you know something where the artist is trying to tell a story, even if it, even if it's just one song in one song. Like I love that journey, and I think that that's something that you know is true of the best music and the best films. discovered last night that one thing that we share in common is a love of prog rock and definitely. I, I definitely remember growing up i mean what the, one of the things i listened to particularly with one friend over and over and over and over and over was a live version of supper's ready and that which is a this epic 22 minute song by genesis which tells a long story it, it kind of tell, it tells both the story and also has just a bunch of short vignettes of little impressions of a dream but uh, and all, and then the other thing from that same band was the lamb lies down on broadway which Definitely. is this epic epic story it's a great album oh it's amazing and i just remember thinking how like I, the thing i think that not thinking but feeling the thing that pulled me into that was that 
the song Supper's Ready or the album The Lamb Lies Out on Broadway or, uh, you know, kind of other other things from other bands along those lines pull you into a world. I mean, they really – I think for me, I often really appreciated the escapism of that music where you could you could actually step into this fully realized other universe created by the band, whether it was for 22 minutes or 7 minutes or 90 minutes or whatever it might be. And I found that really powerful and really – kind of gratifying and it was like a little bubble you could walk into of of music definitely i'm i feel the same way i mean that was that was one of the things that really fascinated me about that and you know genesis and we talked about yes last night as well um just yeah like creating a whole world where there's a story and there's characters and it's yeah it's fascinating to me i mean i had the i had the same the like the exact same effect with yes the album close to the edge where i would just listen to that over and over again and lamb lies down on broadway as well um and yeah it's just so interesting that a band it's like something that i would almost like i would listen to prog rock and be like this is amazing that they're crafting these worlds. And I know that I, I'm probably the only person around that appreciates this or can understand it. And I, you know, I feel like that a lot, but it's, uh, yeah, it's so fascinating to go through that effort. You know, you've like built this whole thing and especially just audibly, you know, you like, yeah, it's just, I love getting lost in music like that for sure. I wanted to go back to something you said at the very beginning uh, where you talked about, uh, trying to retain kind of some tonality in glow's music and is that uh is that as much for the benefit of the listener as anything else i mean is that an attempt to kind of reach out and connect kind of uh, really it's it's more about creating it's it's more about creating some kind of a melodic world um it's a little bit for the listener but it's also definitely for music that that i like and music that we as a band like um because I mean, we've done a lot, and we definitely have parts and songs and things that we've done where it's just 100% free. But one of the things that I've always found interesting is in those settings where it is 100% free, like sometimes when you hear people play using, you know, I guess free jazz vocabulary, it it almost sound, like it ends up sounding the same at a certain point. And there's energy there, which, I, you know, obviously I love the energy, but the timbres themselves always kind of, go to the same place and that was something that we like we feel like in in glow's music we try to build to that or get there somehow but it's hard to it's hard to sustain that and and keep it interesting i find and you know i this is i say that as someone who loves free jazz and has been to see so much free jazz but you know that keeping the melodic thing it's definitely not a hard rule you know we don't always follow it but that's one of the considerations we take into account is just making sure that there's for us as listeners that we're going to as many places as we can you know this is purely my own observation and i'm not i'm not positing it positing it as a rule or even an accurate observation writ large (laughs) but in my experience of going to a lot of free jazz shows in fact this just happened to me this week uh in one set of music that i saw in richmond there was a moment um, in this set that I saw last night, one of the sets, where the drummer who was playing, who had been just like tapping parts of the drum set, you know, kind of sporadically, all of a sudden laid down this just really meaty groove. He didn't have a bass drum. He just had a snare drum, a hi-hat, and a, uh, and a ride cymbal. And he just laid down this really meaty groove. And 
the bassist kind of picked up on it, and so he joined in. He wasn't necessarily playing a groove, but he was approximating what the drummer was doing. And then I kind of felt, as I often feel in these situations, like everyone else in the band avoided doing that. Like, the last thing they wanted to do was all of a sudden launch into this groove section. And I thought, yeah, but that would be perfect right now, because (laughs) listen to everything else you've been playing. And even if you go totally back into outer space, for this moment, it was like the music just, it felt to me like it desperately wanted to be there. And like people were avoiding it. And obviously I'm re- completely reading my own impressions into the brains of these people. It might be totally unfair. Maybe that was the point, <laughs> but I just, uh, there are many times when I just want people to just like surrender to it. Like it's okay to play. To yeah, play together. exactly. I definitely, I feel the same way. And that's something I think for the Richmond scene, I mean, at least for, at least for, you know, no BS and close in the dark and fight the big bull. Um, we're always conscious of that in, we love playing over grooves, you know, like one of the, I mean that for me, that's one of the things that got me into free jazz was just listening to uh, Ken Vandermark and all the just amazing grooves he would write for Vandermark five and bridge 61 and these other offshoot bands that he writes for. It's, it's interesting. Cause like when you embrace that groove, it's, there's something cool about it. And especially when you build to it through free jazz, you know, it's like, you don't have to, you don't have to fear the groove, you know, (laughs) I smell a t-shirt. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's, you know, copyrighted. Okay, so off the air, seconds before I'm asking you this question, I asked you if there are questions that I should ask you. And this is the question you suggested that I ask you. So I'm, the reason I'm saying that is because, as I just told you, and people will not have heard because I'm deleting that part, <laughs> I have never, ever asked anyone who their influences were ever. And I'll tell you why I don't. Because I think, I, and all of my jazz writer colleagues, I don't mean you, <laughs> but I often think that when people write about people's influences or when a writer says this reminds me of x i get the utility of that right it's this kind of sounds like this well okay now i'm reading it and if i've heard whatever this is i can put it in some category 
but sometimes I feel like that's just a little bit lazy, or like it's forcing me to now put things in that category, or to say like, if you tell me that your influences are Stockhausen, Benny Hill, and the game Connect Four, I don't even what does that mean, right? Like I figured I could just tell just by looking at you. I don't even understand what that means. I mean, like your influences are everything that's happened to you from birth till now, and with stress on some of those things and it's always been unclear to me what i'm supposed to take from that so I can, all, all I, of that said now you can tell me okay well i can i can tell you i'll tell you some of my favorite guitar players but before i do yes. that i should talk a little bit about that question because okay. i um you know i that's always something you hear like oh here are your influences and that kind of thing um and i've i know growing up listening to a lot of music and reading a lot of music magazines, I've gotten burned so many times because I'll read something and, you know, you'll read it like, this band sounds like this band if this band played with this band <laughs> in this year, you know? And I was like, okay, I, I know exactly what that's like. And I never will forget, and this is really, really funny, because I, I love the band Radiohead. Mm. And I was a freshman in college or entering college when um okay computer came out and i was you know huge into prog rock and i was really into frank zappa and just a lot of different music and um i read i read a bunch of articles about okay computer and and a lot of guitar magazines and they they were declaring okay computer a prog rock masterpiece like this is the ultimate prog album and i'd been burned so many times that i was like this can't be true so I avoided listening to OK Computer for years because I was just like, well, I know they're just whatever. They're writing, you know. And it wasn't until Kid A came out that one of my roommates at the time was like, man, you got to check you got to check Radiohead out, you know. And I finally listened to it and I was just like, I didn't, I didn't think obviously what they had read about it or what they had written about it, but I was like, this is amazing. You know, but I obviously drew my own conclusions about sure. it. Sure. Um, so that is a really interesting question because it is like it's hard to write about music or it's hard to describe music in any concrete way because everyone has their own connections to it. You know, now they just like negate everything. <laughs> right. um, my I have guitar players that I really like, um, Barney Kessel, and I really like this guitar player, Mick Barr. Um, I don't a, know him at all. He's a guitar player um, and he's a, he's a kind of a – I like to describe him as if, and this is another thing, but it's kind of like using a lot of similar principles to John Coltrane, but if John Coltrane was a metal guitar player, where when you listen to him, he sounds like he's breaking through to something, you know? Um, and if I can just pause, jazz session listeners, I know there's a lot of you who are visual artists. If I do not immediately have in my inbox John Coltrane wailing on a metal guitar there's going to be hell to pay. So someone draw that and send it to me. Thank you. Sorry, continue. <laughs> but yeah, he's, he's a great guitar player um, and really like Mary Halverson as well. Tell me about Barney Kessel though, which is uh, possibly the, the least, uh, we're the least able to draw a direct line from Kessel to Glows, for example. So, so give me something about yeah, Kessel. Yeah, well, I, I've just, for, for some reason when I got into jazz, he was the guy that I gravitated towards uh, just immediately, like even before I knew what was going on in just traditional jazz music. I really liked the way he played, particularly playing chords and um, just how hard he played the guitar. Like him, particularly like him and Steve Howe, I always like, you can tell that they're just like really beating the shit out of the guitar. Which you mentioned Steve Howe is the guitar player. The guitar yes. player for yes. 
and I really like that sound. And, you know, so I got really into him and everything he was doing. And I would say the way it relates to Glows is for me, just that kind of the tone, like I really like a clean, just like a really clean direct tone, but also like he did, has done a lot of work for soundtracks and he was one of the original members of the uh, wrecking crew that recorded with the beach boys and everything. Um, so everything he's done has just been fascinating to me. And it just his like distinct sound. I don't think I play like him. I just, you know, I always listen. I always come back to sure. listen to his stuff. My guest is Scott Burton. He's a guitarist uh, from the band Glows in the Dark. And uh, it's been a real pleasure to talk to you. And uh, I thank you. We're actually having this conversation on your couch because you're, this is one of the couches I'm crashing on my <laughs> exactly. cross-country tour. So thanks a lot, man. It's been, it's been great being here and being in Richmond and getting to know you. I appreciate yeah. it. Thanks so much for having me. That's Glows in the Dark from the album Beach of the War Gods. My thanks to Scott Burton for being on the show and for helping to make the tour possible by providing a couch for me to stay on in Richmond. I'm Jason Crane. This is the Jazz Session, sponsored by Matt Rock, Murat Verdi, and Nicholas Payton. Please support the tour. It's easy. Go to thejazzsession.com slash tour to see the ways you can do that. You can make a one-time donation, a recurring donation. You can buy a book for my Kindle. All Simple, easy, right there available for you using your credit or debit card. For some reason, the word credit didn't sound like a real English word right then, but I'm pretty sure it is. What else? I don't think anything else. Just, you know, do all of the stuff you know you should probably be doing with your life. Enjoy yourself. Uh, go to the jasoncrane.org site to read. There's no the. Go to jasoncrane.org to read my daily tour diaries. And then get out there and support live jazz wherever and whenever you can and come back next time for another conversation about jazz on The Jazz Session.
everybody. Bye. Bye.